Hey, what's going on, people? It's Jay Good of StraightOutTheDen.com. Um, today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Uh, you, you know, you guys heard me talk about it quite a few times, man. And like, you know, read. Reading is fundamental. Um, you know, reading something can definitely help progress, um, you know, your future. If you have something that you want to learn about, read about it. And uh, my thing is, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I don't like reading. So, like, when I was approached with this idea with Audible, um, where they actually read the books to you, you can't go wrong with an audio book. So, look, you guys are a listener of the podcast, so we want to give you guys something free. So, go, go to audibletrial.com slash straight out the den uh str the number eight o-u-t-d-a-d-e-n and um you go there and you, what, what you're going to get is a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial so just go and sign up it's, it's very simple process go there and um you know it's a free gift on for me to you and it's like over 150,000 titles and um you know you can put it on your your iphone um android device mp3 player kindle any of that it, it works just fine so go there audible trial um, dot com slash straight out the den. Um, today's podcast, um, and if you guys listened last week, there's a few things that I got to get out of the way. Like, like the first thing was, um, I told this story about New Orleans, um, and I didn't go into a whole lot of detail. And some of you guys were mad at that. I got the comments and, and the one comment that I got was surprisingly, it was, uh, it was actually a call. I got a call from my mother of all people, um, who, you know, I know that she listens to the podcast, but, you know, it's kind of I didn't know that she listened to every podcast and she just so happened to check this one out. And she was like, yo, so I want to hear more about this, you know, this trip to New Orleans that you took in, um, you know, your junior year of high school or whatever. And, and, you know, I told her the same thing I pretty much told you guys. I wasn't going to go too much into detail about it. Um, you had to be there in the moment. So sorry, mom, um, I love you, but I'm not going to tell that full story. Uh, but, you know, a couple of you guys asked about it. And, and, you know, that's the beauty of it. You guys just have to, you know, tune in. I may go into it a little bit more later on down the line. But, you know, as of right now, I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not going to go too far into it. Um, but today, man, we got a special guest um, in the podcast. Um, and, and, you know, we kind of talked about it last week. But um, help me welcome. Uh, and I'm trying to work on my intros, man. So, like, <laughs> I, I'm trying to do better. I, I'm watching, like, Sway and, and how he goes on, like, for 30 minutes on an on a introduction. So I'm not trying to do 30 minutes. But we know each other own. at this point. Yeah. We don't need to. Yeah. So. And, 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 you know, that, that voice you're hearing is King Williams, man. Like, this guy, I, I want to get into how we initially met. And, and I'm trying to think my earliest memory. Um, I know that we, we all went to school together. We went to Georgia State. Yes. But for some reason, the, the main memory I have of you <laughs> is we're at Georgia Tech playing basketball. Like we That's play, real. We played basketball like uh, they had an outdoor uh, court. They still have it over at Georgia Tech, man. It's like all of us. It used to be about a good like 15 of us just go and play basketball at the outdoor court. And it's like Jared, man, is like a good basketball player, man. And like anybody that knows Jared understands why I said that with a chuckle because he's like he doesn't strike you as a basketball player at all, but he gets on the court and like this guy's like No, like, not at all. I mean like, I'm in full hipster attire right now with the sweater yeah, and like the yeah. glasses. Like, no, not even in a I was bit. like, Hold on, dude, you can play basketball. I was like, Yeah, man, you I mean he's really he's he's a good basketball player, man. Him and his brother. Like so we that's like one of my earliest memories of Jared. So this podcast is gonna be a little bit different uh there's a lot of things that you know we want to get into but it's, it's going to be for the most part like me and him catching up man so first off man how are you man how you been i am good um it is really exciting actually to be back in atlanta since yeah. 
for me, the last almost four years have been in New York City. So yeah. really just being back here has just been really a good good welcome home kind of experience. Gotcha, gotcha, man. So like how long how long is the trip this time? Cuz I know you've been coming, you know, kind of back and forth. Yeah. Um for me this time I'm going to be here for definitely a few months. Okay, um, cool, to cool. just work on the project and things like that while I'm here. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, and that project that he's talking about um and we're definitely going to get more in detail um on that project. He's talking about the Atlanta Way. Um it's a it's a film and documentary style film um that him and his company uh, came up with this concept, and and I kind of remember this earlier on. Um, I think it, by that time I had already graduated, but you know I just you know Facebook and social media. You know you kept seeing this thing like you know the Atlanta way, the Atlanta way, and I'm like, what is the Atlanta way? And you know I kind of you know saw that he was working on it and, and the things about the film. We're gonna get into that, but before we get into that, I, I really want to go into um, that journey into film. You know what I mean? Like how did you even? that passion to start film because this is a hip-hop podcast you know what i yes. mean so it's going to be a little bit different for our listeners but i think that is it's a great conversation to have because hip-hop a lot of people that are in hip-hop tend to go towards film for some reason you know what i mean so i think it'll be interesting to get that kind of behind the scenes feel man so like just kind of start with us like how did you start with film like where did that come from um for me i've always wanted to do film and i've wanted to do film since maybe i was like a kid in the 90s watching like movies like Terminator 2 mm. and Pulp Fiction and The Lion King and things like that. A combination of things. And so for me, I've always wanted to do and I've always had that passion, but I never really had the opportunity. This is before Tyler Perry. This is before The Walking Dead and all these other things that's come to Atlanta now. And so once I got to Georgia State, what actually happened was I grew up on the east side of Atlanta in East Atlanta, Decatur, Ellenwood kind of area. And we had housing projects there when I was younger. No one could ever tell me what happened to those housing projects. And because of that, it was always something in my mind. And because I just was noticing that no one could give me an answer, I decided, you know, I'm going to kind of look into this a bit while I'm in class. Okay. And that just, it kind of really just snowballed from there. And so it's been a great ride. It's been a really great ride to see how that's kind of transitioned from just an idea to something maybe to do in class to something that's becoming, you know, the Atlanta way as it is now. Got you. So, what was the, um, your major at Georgia State? Was it? Uh, my major was actually being black. So, like being Af- <laughs> yeah, being black. So, African American studies. Like, I'm very proud of that. Like, and so for me, like African American studies is something I'm very proud of. So that was my major at Georgia gotcha. State. I, I took I took a course. Um, it was a great course. I learned a lot. Uh, I just never heard it put it like that. Like, I, my major was like being black. <laughs> like, I really, like, I always tell people that, like, because people always look at me, especially now since I work in, a lot in film in New York, yeah. people always say, oh, you must have been a film major or were you somebody? I was like, no, I just majored in African American studies. And there's this general pause. Yeah. Because like, they don't know how to really engage at yeah, that point. Yeah. <laughs> And so I always like saying it just to kind of see what people's heads are at. Yeah, no, I, it caught me off guard because I did. You know, Georgia State is a big college. Man. Yeah, it's like you unless you're in the major with that person, it's a good chance you don't know what they're majoring in. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and the, the the great thing about Georgia State, this is my Georgia State plug. You see, I have the the mouse pad here. Yes, uh, Georgia State, but Represent. it's like. Um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Everybody yes. remember Tuesdays and Thursdays. That was the only time that Georgia State felt like a, I, you know, for me, it, it felt like a black college on Tuesdays and Thursdays. It did. Like, you know it was I mean? the blackest thing in Atlanta on yeah. Tuesdays and Thursdays for exactly 90 minutes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, man. And, like, for anybody that's unfamiliar with Georgia State, this Tuesdays and Thursdays was like there was a 
uh, college break, pretty much, right? Um, between what, what what was the time? Was it like twelve fifteen? Like, yeah, like twelve fifteen to like one. One, right? And so it was like a, a you know a system wide break, and everybody used to come to the plaza. Mainly the black kids used to come to the plaza and we would all be there and there, you know, depending on the type of personality you had, there was a fashion show. There was, um, you know, there you can might catch a, a live show like hip hop show going on in, in there, a step show if you were Greek. There were so many things that were going on in the plaza between 12, 15 and one o'clock. And it was that time when everybody was there and it never failed. It was just like, you know, it was just the time to be seen in a sense. And like. You know, you would see so many of your friends and, and colleagues and it's like you didn't know what they did. You just know that they were going to be in the plaza, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And some people were dressed up. Some people, you know, would kind of relax. I felt like the older I got, I kind of started relaxing more. You know yeah, I mean? like it, it, after a while, it kind of happened like that. Yeah, it's just like, ah, it's, it's, it's OK. It's cool. But, you know. So I, I didn't know that you were African-American study major. And, you know, I just assumed you were a film major, like to be in film, you know, like you are now. That uh, that transition and you're saying like taking a class and, and getting those questions, not getting those questions answered made you want to kind of pursue. Did you by any chance um, deal with anything film related, though? Like, you know, as far as picking up a camera, shooting stuff or it was kind of like. Yeah. And I got it. Yes, I did. I was So for me in particular, um when I was in high school, I worked at like the local cable TV news, like working gotcha. on that. But when I actually got to college, I have no problem saying this now because I work in the industry. Yeah. But my first two classes, which which were a film theory class and a film history class, I made a C and a D. And you mm -hmm. needed to, and I actually made a C in the film theory class, I think twice. And so you needed a B or better to get in. And then I said, at this point, you know what? Maybe it's not for me. This was kind of boring. I didn't have any real reference point. So then I went to business and then business didn't work out for me. And then I was I literally just took an African-American studies class because it was an elective. I yeah. wasn't trying to take it. And I was like, this is really interesting. I'll take a couple more and then took a bunch of urban policy classes alongside of that. So cool, man. Yeah. Um, that's just very interesting, man, because it's of course, if anybody that's um, knows anything about like a career you know, and I say this, I had to put it as blunt as possible, but most people that graduate in a certain field don't necessarily work in that field. It's just very true. You know, that happens quite often. You know what I mean? And, and but not like I, I never would have guessed it, you know, put those two together, like you're saying, man. And, and just to see where it is. Like, I know there's a couple other people that went to Georgia State that works with you. And, and what's the name of the company that is? Okay, yeah, the company is uh, Scientific Films. Mm -hmm. It's spelled really weird, so, you know, yeah, um, for anyone who wants to look at look it up, if you just happen to, it's P-S-Y-E-N-T-I-F-I-C-F-I-L-M-S.com, um, so mm -hmm. Scientific Films. And we actually got that name from Georgia State because of the computer lab that we had was called the Digital Aquarium. Yeah. And yeah, so we kind of just remember being in that aquarium all the time, just meeting each other and then being in different classes. And we couldn't figure out a name, and I was like, why don't we just be like, you know, science or something like that. And then mm -hmm. it kind of just stuck. And it's like, this is kind of cool. Gotcha. So, yeah. Yeah, man. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's great to see that, that journey. You know what I mean? And sometimes, I don't know for you, I don't want to speak for you, but it's sometimes like when you're working, you don't necessarily, like you might have the vision of where you want to go, but while you're working, it's just like, I'm just working. I'm trying to figure it out. And like to kind of look back on it, it's like, man, we really laid a solid foundation for, you know, what's to come in the future um, with this project and other things that you're working on. Um, I, I do want to kind of get into 
that more so of that journey like you know you graduate georgia state um you know and at the same time you're 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 learning about this film and you want to get this film rolling and and things like that what was like really the the startup for that that to say was like you know what let's take this uh from being a a thought and make it something tangible and, and create a company you know what i mean like what was that conversation like um it actually it like all conversation nowadays it starts on social media so what happened was i posted something my senior the summer of my senior year i posted a a post saying that hey you know if anybody wants to come you know work with me i'm thinking about doing a documentary and one guy the only guy who responded was this other kid other kid i went to school who now works for turner broadcasting his name is zettler clay yeah hey what up i I know that yeah yeah. zettler's a good guy he's a dad now and a husband it's so weird seeing that like (laughs) Seeing and that we grow up, man. <laughs> I know. I wasn't ready for it. I just wasn't. And so he was the first person to respond. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we just started assembling a team of people we knew at school, people we knew from other campuses. And we were just saying, hey, I would like to work with this guy. So one guy, he I knew he was taking really great photos at the time, this guy named Dimitri Crowder. And I was like, hey, let's really approach him. Another person I knew who was in the PR, she didn't know where she wanted to be at, was another woman by the name of Carrie Randall, who's now at Edelman. And so we just said, let's start finding the best people we could find on who we knew and just approach them, just pitch them and say, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Would you want to be involved? And then we got a lot of no's, but we got a lot of yeses. And so just building that from there and people who wanted to actually work and make mistakes. That's that's cool, man. It's like you as you name these names, it's like, man, I have like, you know, relationships with all these different people. You know, it's, it's, it's just great to see that, man. Like it's, you know, me and D, like we play, we play softball together. You know what I mean? And it's just like, he he is a dope photographer. Like he this is. guy really has an eye for um you know just for film and, and shooting in general, man. Like so, it's great to see that. Like you guys actually got together, had a plan, had a vision, and was like made it happen. That's so dope to hear, man. Um, you know, go into that that okay. So now you guys you have a team form, and you guys are starting to shoot because it's it's so the the topic. Um, of, of what this film and you know just seeing being in Atlanta you kind of see it like not even far from here like there was I used to stay um, in the villages at Carver where you know people that are from Atlanta know that that was you know Carver Homes at one point you know that that area and just to see like you know wipe it out move them out let's build up you know what I mean so like it's it's something that a lot of people may not even know exactly what gentrification is but they have an idea, you know, they just didn't know that the term for. So, you know, give us that breakdown. Like what exactly is gentrification and, you know, the origin of it? Because I don't even know the origin of it, to be honest with you, you know, but, you know, give us that. Educate us on that part. Well, sure. Um, If we talk about gentrification, I'm glad you brought that up from the beginning. Um, Gentrification is actually the root word of that is gentry. And if anyone knows anything about feudal history, particularly about France or particularly about the English feudal mm-hmm. history or when Roman the Romans conquered Britain, the gentry referred to exactly that, the people who actually, the gentry at that time were the people who actually ruled. So the landowning class, what we consider the, the hierarchy in terms of what England, feudal England, feudal France was like. So that word actually is based out of there. We actually don't see the word gentrification come up until the English language. Some people debate on this, but for sure 1964. Okay. Um, and some people say as early as 1888, but it's depending on, you know, what the context is and what you know literature that you're reading but we know for sure it doesn't really really become and take hold until at least the 70s okay and so when we talk about gentrification in particular where you were staying at carver homes for people who don't know what that is is that in atlanta we had a lot of housing projects before a lot um and carver homes in the villages at carver was a housing project before 
Carver Homes, named after George Washington Carver, for you guys who don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and like most things with housing projects, it was meant as a transitional period for people to, you know, just who are, who are having a downtime or people down their luck to transition into the workforce, transition into middle class livelihood. And through a lot of things, it just didn't happen. So eventually they become run down. The villages at Carver are one of the few places nationally where we see where particularly places like public housing and places like that are impoverished have an opportunity to, you know, really regrow and really, those places were tor- torn down and something better was built up. So better mm-hmm. schools, better you know access to public transit and jobs and things like that. And so when we talk about Atlanta, a lot of the music that we listen to, like from Outkast and Goody Mom, that 90s hip-hop, 90s R&B, mm-hmm. a lot of it's based in you know, areas that either had people from the projects. Like if you listen to you know Outkast, especially on Spodio, Spodio de Dopalicious, mm-hmm. Andre 3000 makes a direct reference to one of the housing projects on that song. And so... Those projects bred a lot of people, a lot of people making music, a lot of people, even with DFOL and things like that yeah, a couple yeah. of years later. And so it's just like that sound and that experience of Atlanta isn't really here anymore. And mm-hmm. so for me, documenting that, that whole process of just being in the last days of public housing and how that transition, we can even hear it in the music. We can even see how that particular era has changed Atlanta hip hop and just changed like the city as a whole. So like what was the the, the, the year time frame and like when this thing starting to take over where all you, all of a sudden you just start seeing all the housings, um, public housings just start to fall. Like what was that time period? Okay. So if we want to be some people, if we want to be specific, we'll go spring of 92. Okay. Um, and at that point in time, nothing had fallen down yet, but what happened was significant is that the residents of Techwood homes, mm-hmm. which for you guys who aren't familiar, who've never been to Atlanta, um, for the Atlanta Olympics, or if you ever see, Hawks games and things like mm-hmm. that. It's the big park that always sits out in front of Phillips Arena. Yeah. So that area before was all projects. And so in 92, the residents voted to, you know, have Techwood torn down and to get housing vouchers and housing assistance to move in other places. This was all preceding the Olympics that would come in 96. Mm-hmm. And so really from the mid-90s until 2011 is when all of the housing projects were torn down in Atlanta. Some have been rebuilt. Some are just, you know, idle right now trying to see what's going to happen next. But we're talking nearly 20 years of that time frame of things being torn down and redeveloped for some cases. Yeah. And, and you know, um, this is for anybody that stayed in the village um, at Georgia State. Um, and, and I wasn't here like, you know, I was born in Atlanta. But during this time, I, I mean, I was raised in Macon. So I didn't see a lot of, you know, the projects I heard about them, you know, as I came and visited and stuff like that. But, you know, for anybody that stayed in the village and wonder what's this you know, uh, what you may have parked on the street and there's like this big green, you know, um, building there from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, that was part of tech. that's like the old tech homes. there, like that building that they kept there. Yeah. Like that's yeah. gone too. So, Oh, they, they knocked that down. Yeah. That's, that's all gone. Oh, now. wow. Man. So, See, yeah. I haven't been over there in a while. <laughs> yeah. It's gone. I worked by there like a week ago. I was like, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, but you know, for people that went to Georgia state that was there and everybody know about it. Like you had to walk through there. It was kind of creepy at night or, you know, it probably smelled like, you know, not the best smell when you walk through there, but yeah. you know, all, all of that, that was the old tech wood, um, homes, man. And just to see, you know, it looks great now, right? You know, because uh, you, you got housing there, and you got you know Centennial Olympic Park, and there are so many other things that are over there in that area. But you know, I want to talk specifically on the people, right? Okay. What happened to the people that stayed in those places? And I'm sure your documentary is going to go into yeah. that. You know what I mean? No, nah, that's cool. That's like yeah. the million dollar question everyone yeah. wants to know. And so for right now, this is what we know for sure has happened through multiple studies over the last you know 17 to 20 years when that period happened. There were two things. One, and 
I want to be very explicit on just this is go ahead. One is for most of the people who are there, they're who are able to get housing vouchers, which is what you actually give people mm-hmm. when they need to move or people who are low income when they're on Section 8 and things like that. For those people who qualify, and this is just as the most recent study, most of those people either lived in new places like the Village of Carver Homes. A lot of people moved to other areas of the city, but for the most part, they stayed within Atlanta. Okay. So instead of being like a giant building with everyone housed, a lot of people broke up and they move into smaller units, smaller mm-hmm. places, different locations around the city. The number two thing is the thing that most people are really upset about is that everyone didn't get the opportunity, especially in the 90s, to get the opportunity to come back from whatever reason. So there are a lot of people, you know, from... Some people saying that they had trumped up charges. Some people saying that they weren't invited to come back. Some people for having things like criminal records or a history of violence and things like that. So there's a a whole plethora of reasons as to why certain people didn't get the vouchers. But it always came down to two things. One, if you got the voucher. And then two, if you didn't. Gotcha. So, you know, that's interesting because I I, I didn't know that that information. I mean, I'll go over some things that I heard. And honestly, I didn't do the research. And, you know, I'm glad that you're here to kind of, you know, um, clear some of that stuff up. I've heard myths, if you will, about people are um, in those situations. They're removed to like outer counties, you know, um, Clayton County to be more specific. And, you know, I don't know anything about that. You know what I mean? But I've just heard that several times where those people were moved there. And then all of a sudden you just seem like crime rates go up. You know what I mean? And I don't know. You know what I mean? I I don't know that at at all. Um, I was having a conversation and this is not about Atlanta, but this is more so about like Chicago area. Um, a lot of those places that had the projects, um, what's the, the biggest one there? You smell um, Caprini green, Caprini green. Yeah. Right. And I had this conversation with a guy that, that, you know, said he was there and he talked to the people there and it was like, um, I can't remember if this place is on like the South side or, or the West side. Um, I, I don't know, but they said pretty much when, when that project went down, they moved everybody, to the soft side, basically, is what, what, and and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know, Um, they moved them to another part of the town, and basically, the underlining theme was, we did that, so we can, one, build great property here, and move people in here that, you know, um, that can afford to, because this is going to be high property value area, and we moved those people down there, so they can pretty much, it was like two gangs, like the Vice Lords and the GDs, like, pretty much together, in one area and we know what happens when rival gangs get together there's you know killings and so i don't know i'm not from chicago i visited i love chicago to visit but you know to hear those type of stories it makes me think like well was the same thing happening here you know what i mean like was that an underlining theme and i don't know if i'm overstepping my boundaries by asking you that no no that's fair you know um you know that always interests me like is that something that's you know you feel is going on well yeah i'll definitely address the first thing which is that in terms of Clayton County, mm-hmm. and for those people who've never been to Atlanta or don't know what Atlanta is, so if Atlanta is essentially five, like New York has five boroughs, mm-hmm. so that's the best way to put it. Atlanta, we let's say for real, has like really five major counties. Mm-hmm. And just to be really explicit, um, the Bronx, which is most people consider the most crime-ridden, the most ethnic, you know, of all the boroughs, is the equivalent of Clayton County in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, it sits in a, a part of town that on the desirable stretch of land that no one really wants, like the Bronx, mm-hmm. but in terms of Clayton County and public housing, that's not really related because okay. even since the 90s, what happened, Clayton County's, you know, as we quote unquote downfall has nothing to do with the housing projects. Gotcha. 
they just happen at the same time. Okay, okay. And um, to more explicitly about Chicago, um, I, Chicago's a great town, so I want to really give a shout-out to Shanita uh, Peterson and Amina Kirk and Helen G and Judy Conway, people I met um, out in Chicago like two summers ago. Um, in particular with those, Chicago, we look at the Atlanta model, which is what's a, something that happened very similar. And mm-hmm. this, or New Orleans is even a better example, mm-hmm. two places I've been to, is that, like you said, with gangs and things like that, the thing about Chicago is that – area where Caprini Green sat on and other projects and Robert Taylor Homes, those are really viable stretches of land. They really sit in really good areas. And so that is true. So what happens is the problem is, you, yes, you tear down concentrated poverty, which is something that no one wants. The problem is just the implementation and not understanding that a lot of people there had community ties. And even if they had community ties that were strong enough to extend outward, you never really addressed how to go about the gang problem once that moved. And so okay. we see that in Chicago, particularly in the south side and the west side of Chicago especially right now is where you have more and more influx of people coming in and just really going back and forth about territory, about mm. you know people who weren't there before. And so I don't know what it's going to take, but Chicago has made a, de- a decent turn in terms of like the reducing number of homicides and stuff like that. But they still have a long way to go. Okay, cool, cool. And you know what? Uh, I do want to switch gears a little bit. We're going to get more into um, um, the project, but, you know, I, I want to make sure that I kind of take people and walk them through your story. Thank you for answering that also. Um, so, you know, you have this project that you're working on, and, and you kind of put it on hold. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, the time was like maybe was it 08 or something like that when you kind of shut it down or was it 2011 uh okay yeah that's a good question so we were working on a project and doing like local screenings Mm -hmm. and like local we were just filming while we were filming this is it was a good idea at the time but now it's a little different but we would be filming at the time you know recording doing Mm -hmm. research with people and then doing like screenings and preview screenings from like 2008 to 2010 and then in 2011 i took an official like hiatus from the project because at that point in time i just hit you know you hit a wall creatively where Mm -hmm. you just at that point, everyone else who's worked with us before, we were all still young, either in school or just getting out of college. Gotcha. So we didn't know enough. None of us went to film school and things like that. And it just timed out well enough to where, you know, we still liked each other. We still wanted to work yeah. with each other. But it just wasn't working at that point. And then I got an internship with Spike Lee in June of 2000, well, really April of 2011. In June of 2011, I moved to New York City, and I've been there ever since. And so there's been a good three almost four year gap where nothing's really happened until really this past year when I did a Kickstarter for it. Okay. So, so um, w- walk us through that then. Like, first off, how do you get an internship with Spike Lee? You know <laughs> what I mean? Like to go from a guy that, okay, I have this idea about a project. We're starting to gain ground on, on this project and, and, you know, we're, we're recording, we're filming, you know, we're documenting a lot of things and then it's like, all right, I'm gonna take this internship. So where, where did that come from? Okay, well, I will say this now. I know the people at Spike's office are going to probably hate me for this, and they, and they probably really should. So, uh, all right, so what happens is a friend of mine, I'm not going to say this friend's name. Gotcha, understood. Uh, Spike Lee joined Twitter in, I believe, February of 2011. And so a friend of mine who was really passionate um, and really knew, and, and like sometimes you have friends who really feed into your life, and so I'm really yeah. thankful for this friend, like forever, like forever, ever. And so... This friend was like, hey, I you know, I work in the political field. I think you should run a campaign. And the friend said, if if you let me, you know, and we work together on this, we could run this like a political campaign that I do. Mm-hmm. And so we actually structured it like a political ca- campaign to be Spike Lee's intern. Um, That's so dope. And so what happened was the only reason we even structured it is because he was still new to Twitter. I think maybe his fifth or sixth tweet, he accidentally posted the email of his assistant. 
<laughs> and so at that point in time, we took that email. We knew it worked. Yeah. And then we, for six or eight weeks, really just built a campaign around really at first Twitter and then going through Facebook and then going through email. And that culminated in like late April where we had a single day. We were like, okay, this is the last day we're really going to push it. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know, I need you guys as much as you can to just let people know what it is. So what happened was I think they opened around 9 o'clock that morning by like 9.15. Like his assistant, I don't know how his assistant got my number. He called me and he just said, listen, I know what you're doing. <laughs> and everyone who's who's been saying things about you has been saying good things, but I need you to stop. I need you to tell them to stop immediately because oh, we can't get work done at work. We can't make outgoing <laughs> phone calls. And it was like one of those things where it it didn't make you're young enough and you just make dumb decisions. And yeah. that was like a dumb decision at work. Yeah, and yeah. so I always tell people that like it, it worked for me, but I'm hundred percent sure it wasn't going to work for anyone else. But I want to say the difference is this. The reason why I got the internship from Spike Lee is not really, not just being persistent and really because my friend was there really spearheading the, the whole process of it was that the one key thing we did was you see this all the time. And people say, Hey, that, you know, somebody's like, here, check out my mixtape, send you a link, send yeah. you a link. What we did was we were going to be consistent. So when people were going to talk about, they weren't going to talk about the film. They were going to only talk about the character and what people had experienced with me. So if I was a good guy, it didn't matter if it was my third grade middle school teacher, my mom, you know, somebody I played basketball with. Everyone only focused on the attributes that were positive that would make me a good intern. Because if you're a celebrity, like in the case of Spike Lee, everyone's trying to give you something. And so that's the last thing they want. But what you can do is say, okay, you know what? I know you don't have an internship position actually open. But if you maybe take a consideration of this guy in particular... I think he would be good. He would sweep the floors. He'll work with you. You know, I worked with him at Red Lobster. So many people just were vouching for me on a personal level that it got me that opportunity to talk to his assistant for like 30 minutes. And then we did like a Skype interview. And then they called me and I was working at FedEx at the time. And he said, hey, we need you in New York. Can you get here? And I was like, I can't get here tomorrow because I don't have any money. But if you give me a week, I'll get to New York. And they said, okay, that's fine. And then at that point in time, the rest has been history. But it's really about consistency and more or less having like applied cons- uh, consistency on what you want to actually do and what works. Um, you know, and, and I want to stay there for a second, man, because um, like I said, this is a hip hop podcast and we have mainly underground hip hop artists on here. And, you know, most of the time when I have a conversation with, with these guys, they're, they're, they're learning as they go. You know what I mean? And, um, but what you just said, I think can definitely be applied to like their career. I mean, for one, you use the power of social media to your advantage. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, here's something. We, we, we got information. Let's let's milk it for what it is. You know what I mean? In a sense. And you were smart about it. Like you have somebody that, that knows how to run a campaign. So, you know, you just tying all that together to get an intern, man, that's, that's to me, that just shows so much. It's, it's like, okay, you knew exactly what you wanted. You know, you knew your end goal. So it was like, by any means necessary, I'm gonna make that end goal happen. So that's just it's just good to hear, man. Like because I think a lot of times people say they want things, but they don't realize the work that goes along with those very things true. that they want. You know, and it's kind of like they hit that wall very quickly. Oh man, this wasn't what I thought it would be, so they stop. And you know, it's like oh, two more weeks of going hard. You probably could have knocked down that door, but you know. So it's great to hear those type of stories, man. So you know, you know, you're interning with Spike Lee now, um, and I'm assuming you're doing pretty much anything that that needs to be done during yeah. that time. During that time, and I go, I want to preface people this: the movie I actually worked on, and this is what made it. I guess I got to 
give a shout out to God. I know that sounded kind of no, crazy coming out. No, dude. It's but not like that was all God in the sense, like yeah. just even having my friend there to guide me and then the, the campaign. And, but when I got to there, I was, what happened was I worked on a film um, called Red Hook Summer and I was mm-hmm. like literally the last person who showed up. He he had some other interns who worked on it as well. So I was the last intern. I was the oldest intern at the time. I was like the least tenure. I really didn't know much about film. And mm-hmm. so when I got there, I just was like, you know what? I got to just put my pedal to the floor because even then when I stayed with my cousins in New York at that point in time, I had a very limited time that I could stay with them as well. So I was only there from June until like the last week of August. Mm. And so at that point in time, every single day, it was like if our day started at five o'clock, we had to shoot, we had to prep and things like that. I made sure I was going to be there at four o'clock because no one and I was coming from the Bronx, which was even further. So for anyone else, that was at least a one hour commute. And that's assuming the trains were working on time every single day. Yeah. So no matter what I said, I slept on my cousin's floor. So shout out my cousin Keisha in the Bronx. I slept on her floor every single day, the entire summer, like just the floor. Woke up every morning to make sure, you know what, because I know these other people are going to be here. They're, they're more experienced. They're more tenured. They're more connected. These people are, you know, children or assistants of people in Hollywood. I had to be number one every day. And so I looked at it. Um, everything from picking up, you know, dog poop to, like, it didn't matter what it had to do. Like, cleaning off the floor, sweeping the leaves in front of his building. It didn't matter. If I wanted to be there, every single day was about being number one. So I just took it like that. And then that just kind of transitioned for Spike to keep me, you know, for a little longer after that. You know, I hear you tell this story, right? And I can only think about humbling yourself. You know what I mean? And, and I say that, I mean, don't get me wrong. Spike Lee, I think, can humble just about anybody that get the opportunity Very to work true. with him. But I'm, I'm looking at more so of like you're, you're a college graduate. You know, you're, you're somebody that already had a vision for yourself and started something. You know what I mean? And it was, you know, you already have a job. You, you have a lot of things already moving. And to be like, you know what? I'm going to go and go to New York, take a leap of faith, go and sleep on the floor. And, you know, for for lack of better words, like I'm going to go and sweep floors for, you know, Spike, Spike, um, Spike Lee. And, you know, to do that without any guarantee, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like that that takes a lot of humbling of an individual because you, you don't know. You could have got up there and like, you know, set all this up. And then two weeks later, it was like, all right, well. We're done with you. And it's kind of like your whole life. The, uh, one decision you made turned your life in like two weeks later. You're like, oh, OK, now I got to start all over again. You got to figure things out. But, you know, you took that leap. You know what I mean? So that, that says a lot about character, man, and the person that you are to do that. Um, going through that. So I don't how long did the the internship last? It only lasted like eight weeks. Eight and weeks. so okay. by like August, I it actually was even shorter than that because that came like two weeks later. So I came mid June, and by like the first week in August, it was already over with. Okay, um, and, and you, they just kept me, you know, from then. So yeah, I was gonna ask. So the next thing, like you, I think you said production um, assistant. Was that the official title? Yeah. Okay. So I want to preference this too because just like we talk about like people being hungry and things yeah. like that and humbling. So what happened was for me that first week in August, we were pretty much done. People were going back to New York. And then they kept me alongside a few other interns to kind of, you know, to stay for the summer. Yeah. Like the rest of August, you know, it wasn't a bad thing. What happened was like literally that Labor Day weekend of like 2011, I get a call from that same assistant that we kind of spammed before. And <laughs> he called me and it was one of those decisions. Like sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I thank God for this. He said, right now I need to know, can you come back on Tuesday? Because we need somebody to be a PA. And for people who don't know what the industry equivalent of a PA is, that's basically like the fry cook at McDonald's. Oh. You don't have any real <laughs> positions. Like you don't know anything. You don't yeah. get paid a lot. You're doing all the grunt work. And I remember at that point in time, 
um, my cousin was like, you know, it was a small place and like, she was like, you know, I couldn't really stay there. Cause at first I was kind of like tempted about it. And she was yeah. like, well, you can't really stay here right now. Just, it's really too small. It's really too tight. And I respect her for it because, you know, she did that as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so when I got back, I didn't actually have a place to stay when I came back. So literally I flew from New York on that Friday. On that Monday, I flew right back to New York. I didn't have any money. My aunt had to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so I had one night at a hostel. And then the second night, I didn't have anywhere to stay. So I had my two bags with me. And I was like, I don't know where I'm going to stay at. And so then at that point in time, I'm like either staying at a friend's house. I remember one point just trying to you know sleep at a subway, like wherever. But I knew every single day I still had to be the first PA there. And so I remember days coming to the office, like at Spike's office, putting my things you know away before anyone else could see it because I'm first there, obviously. Yeah. So putting my bags away, getting right to work, taking my bags back, and then being like, okay, I don't know where I'm going to sleep at tonight. And so that went on for a few weeks, and then I stayed with some friends for like that. But then that whole process, I'm still a PA, so I'm not making a lot of money, mm-hmm. especially in New York City. Yeah, yeah. And it just was like things just kept opening up, doors kept opening up, and things like that. But every single time, it was just like – I couldn't be like, oh, I'm this great filmmaker like King Williams at this point. It was like, I just want to get through the day. And so then it just changed my attitude and even how I looked at the film and things like that where nothing else is important but the day ahead. And so I just kept saying, focus, if it's not about the day, I'm going to be on time. So now, you know, my mom even says when I came back here, she's like, you're so like time and regiment oriented because for me, being on time meant my livelihood. So if I'm late on a movie set, you're fired. If I'm late to spike, I'm fired. Like. So being time, being disciplined, being regimented, and all these things we talk about with, with new artists in particular, sometimes you just have to have a system in place where you're just consistently on point. Like every day, if you have a mixtape, you have a single out, you know that I need to reach this many people. I know I can't reach this, that, and the third, but I need mm-hmm. to reach them every single day. Reach somebody around that person every single day. And so that consistency is something I hope that people kind of take from it. No, man, I'm, I'm you know... I interview quite a few people, right? And I try my best to take something from everybody and just listen to your story. It reminds me of, um, and and I've said this before on the podcast, you know, but it reminds me of that thing where people don't realize your journey. You know what I mean? It's kind of like people only see the exterior, right? They only see that you intern with Spike Lee. They only see that you're living in New York right now. You're working on film. But a lot of people don't know about, you know, not having a place to stay, not having, you know, carrying your bags and being the first person there have to hide your bags. You know, people don't know about that, that part of it. And it's so amazing because people kind of um, what's the word for it? They sometimes they kind of envy your success in a sense, you know what I mean? And they'll look at it like, oh, man, he's doing so great. But they don't realize, like, you know the hell you had to go through to get there. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they don't get that, you know? So I'm always thankful when I can sit down on a one-on-one and people tell their story because there's so much that people can learn from that. You know what I mean? So just, you know, thank you for that. Just sharing that because I, I mean, I didn't know that, you know, I was just like, man, you know, I'm all about people pursuing dreams and goals. So I'm, you know, all I know is like, man, Jared is up there working. And I was like, hey, however <laughs> he making it work, like, cool. Like, he working. He working. And, and, you know, I left it at that. But I didn't know, you know, the stuff that you were dealing with. Um, so, like you said, I, I have a lot of questions about film because I don't. I have a lot of answers. You know, I don't so know a lot about it. Like, you know, so you told me the first thing, like a PA, production assistant, is pretty much like, you, to use your quote, it's like a fry cook. At McDonald's. <laughs> at McDonald's, yeah. right? So you're doing everything. For for the most part, like anything is low low on the totem pole in a sense. When did you, um, when did you notice 
I guess, a change in, in responsibility where people started to look at you like, oh, you're not just a fry cook anymore. You're, 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 you know, you're King Williams. Uh, okay. I got it. That's a good question. And I got to give a real answer to it. One, a lot of people started looking at me different over time, but the, the reality of it is, and when I worked in New York and I've still worked in New York, like for the last three and a half years is with the exception of like one, two jobs, like I still stayed as the fry cook. And that gave me a really interesting perspective in the sense that people actually treated me differently, but my position didn't change. Okay. And so what happened was like, and if you work on the films that, you know, people who are considered PAs, they actually get treated a lot of times worse than the interns because at least with the interns on the film set, you understand they're doing this for school mm-hmm. and people always have this assumption, okay, they're going to be a big filmmaker one day with these interns, so let's treat, you know, we're not going to, you have a little bit of work, you have some stuff to do, but it's yeah. not going to be a super grunt. With the PA, people just assume that, hey, I was a PA before and I was treated poorly, so I'm going to treat you the, treat same, you way. the same way. And so the thing is when people would come talk to me, people would say, oh, you don't talk like a PA or you don't dress like a PA or, you know, PAs don't act like this. and. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was changing. I'm like, but that's who I am anyway. So it had nothing to do with the position. The thing that actually really changed, I think, how people perceive me in New York was once, and I got to say this too for anyone who has a grind and things like that, is from 2011 until really mid mid to late 2013, I actually, for me, my confidence went down to an all-time low because I was working with so many people. I worked on a lot of movies at that point in time. I worked on like The Secret Life of Walter Mitty with Ben Stiller, The Wolf of Wall Street, Spike Lee's Red Hook Summer. Um, I worked on some other HBO pods. I worked on these really great and big projects. And, you know, at a certain point in time, you really feel like, hey, I'm a part of the team. I'm really growing. Mm-hmm. And then the reality sets in that it's not going to work for you in that capacity. And again, when people started treating me differently was that once I started owning all of the confidence that I had back in Atlanta, the confidence mm-hmm. to, you know, work on campus, the confidence to work and, you know, different things like that. I even just who I was and even going back to just how I've been acting and interacting with other people, I had lost that for like a good two and a half, three years. Mm. Because at a certain point in time, you just like I wasn't living in the best conditions. You're not making a lot of money. It's cold as shit in New York yeah, City. Yeah. Like it is so cold. Like one year <laughs> my shoe, like my boot ripped and I had to walk miles with like my boot in the snow and it's just like yeah, man. It's super cold. It's but a different type of cold. It right? is. Like, it hurts your feelings. Like, when you, it gets cold <laughs> like that, it really hurts my feelings. Like, it's like, why is it four degrees? The wind is blowing and like seven feet of ice around me. Yeah, like, not yeah. snow, just actual just ice. ice. Yeah. So, it hurts your feelings. But the thing that changed when, once I started owning it again, I said, hey, you know, I got this film I've been working on. And I started a film blog before that. And I started interviewing people who I really respected and I met on film sets mm-hmm. and things like that. And then it started to change a bit. And then the other thing was, I was like, I don't need this position or the industry to, to like validate me at that point in time. Gotcha. Because for so long, once we, people, at least I've worked with since I've been an intern with Spike Lee, everyone feels like, oh, if you're close to Spike or if you worked on this movie like The Wolf of Wall Street or Walter Mitty, then you're somebody. And then at the same point in time, I was like, no, I'm still the fry cook at McDonald's. And I know that would never like go anywhere really mm-hmm. for me. And I just started owning all the things I was taught, all the things that I knew. And I knew I had a good product. I knew I had something. And so... I did a Kickstarter campaign this time last spring, really about April, um, would be like the one year anniversary. And then at that point in time, just to see how that grew and see how that came. And then when Samuel Jackson tweeted out like a, a tweet in support of the project, I was like, okay, I'm back. Like yeah. I, I kind of know I'm, I'm back where I needed to be at again. And, but that took time. Like it really does. You know, and, and you mentioned that Kickstarter campaign. I, I do remember it. And I remember when you uh, put it out there, um, you know, just to, help for the project you know what yeah. i mean and i i can't remember how much i donated but i did i did uh show some support um you know i, I just love to see people 
you know, go for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I saw that I saw the tweet too when uh, Samuel Jackson um that was and I was just like, Whoa. Like like that <laughs> I was like things Whoa. got real at that point. Yeah, because that's like, like that's you know, and and it's not even about like celebrity, but it's it's more so of like this guy saw what you're doing and he genuinely loved what you were doing and supported it. And he didn't have to. Yeah. Like he knows the impact of him tweeting something. He right. knows what that will do. You know what I mean? But he also knows that I could donate anonymously and never say anything. So it's like he knew the impact that that could have on your career. And, you know, and, the, and to go forward and do that, that was just like, man, that was so awesome to see that. You know? Yeah, I will say this. Like, I want to give a big like shout out to Samuel Jackson and particularly uh, Carrie Randall mm-hmm. um, for making that happen. Um, because she's the one who actually got his attention about the project. It had nothing to do with me, and she's somebody who's worked with me a lot. And somebody I mentioned before in the earlier in the podcast about one of the people I knew at Georgia State then, mm-hmm. like Demetri Crowder and some other people. Like this person, we need. I want to work with them now because I know where they're going to be at. And so once that, I will say this: like even with the Kickstarter campaign, if even if people are trying to fund, you know, your next album or your next single and things like that. Literally two days before my campaign was about to be over, I only had half of the money. When that Samuel Jackson tweet went out, my project ended on a Sunday. He tweeted on Saturday night. By Sunday night, we had f- completely fulfilled our goal. And it was only because he tweeted that out. And it just, things happened, but yeah. it wasn't, it literally, could, I couldn't even have predicted that was going to happen. Yeah, so, man. Just- <laughs> at that point, we were already making, I'm already making, you know, concessions. And like, you know, yeah. I had my speech drafted up and what I was going to tell people what we we're going to do next if they still wanted to donate. Like, I had already in my mind planned, like, hey, you know, we fought the good fight. Yeah. We got some coverage. It didn't go well. And literally, that happened out of nowhere. So I was like, thank you, God. Because that yeah. just, it took it off. And so one day we raised 50% of the money. And so, so it's like with Kickstarter, if you don't raise all the, the you miss funds, all of it, you miss it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, man, to see that, that was, man, that's just, that's awesome, dude. Just to see that happen. Hey, we, uh, we got to take a break for our sponsors, man. Like, like I told you guys before, this podcast is, uh, brought to you by audible. Um, Go to audibletrial.com slash straight out the den. Go there right now. Get you a free audiobook. If you're listening to this, you're already used to listening um, to things. So just go there and get you a free audiobook. It's over 150,000 titles. Um, you can listen to it on your iTunes, um, your iPhone, Android device. Like we don't discriminate. You can listen to it on Kindle, MP3 player, anything you can pretty much think of to listen to something on. You can pretty much download you can download it and listen on your computer if you want to do it like that but hey it's a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial that you can go there and get more um audiobooks so i I would say just you know go there check it out look around and once you do that do me a favor tweet us at straight out the den to let me know that you're listening um that you ordered the audiobook uh we appreciate it we will retweet and we'll uh, retweet and talk back to you guys. So, you know, go there again. It's audibletrial.com slash straight out the den. Uh, STR, the number eight, O-U-T-D-A-D-E-N. Um, you know, and, and and we're back with King Williams, man. Like, wh- where did the King come from? I, I got to ask that because I don't, I don't, okay. I don't know that story. Uh, so, a couple of things. One, I've always been kind of known to be like, and my mom's will tell you since I've been born, I've been like the bossy one and like okay, of her children. Okay. Like that's just always literally she would call me bossy as like a child. So <laughs> that kind of came that. But what actually happened was um, a couple things at Georgia State when I first first came there, 
um, and even in high school, I always would try to do like different organization mm-hmm. events. And what happened was I was like the president of this African American male initiative, like called Tighter Grip, which is about you know getting I remember Tighter Grip. Yeah, getting like black men to graduate from college, which was like a big thing. And then somebody was just like, "Oh, you think you're the president?" And I was like, "No, I think I'm like the king." And then, <laughs> but then somebody, the guy kept calling me president all the time. And what happened was like some of my really good friends were just like this guy named Lawrence Zapata and and. Yeah. And Bruno Polk and Pazzi Wadatumi, they were like, we're going to be the three kings. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And they were like the three kings for a long time. And then at a certain point in time, I don't know what switched, but like people just started being like, oh, yeah, you're like King Williams. And I was like, okay. Yeah, and it just, it, yeah, it just, it just started rolling <laughs> with it. It legit had nothing to do with anything. But at that point in time, it just kind of was like, all right, that let, makes sense. Let me ask you a personal question, right? Yes. Because, and I only say this because I have all these different, you know, names. And how does it feel? Or how did it feel the first time somebody who, I guess, two questions. How did it feel the first time somebody called you King Williams that you didn't know? And how did it feel the first time somebody called you King Williams that you did know from previous, you know? Ooh, that is, it's weird. I'm not going to lie. It's so (laughs) weird because you're just not, because, I mean, like you said, like you were saying, Jared, like I'm so used to like, but at this point in time, it's been almost like 10 years. So I, I hear both. So it would. The weirdest thing was hearing my mom say it. And she was just like, who is this King Williams? This is not who I am. And she's yeah. like, this is not who you And, like, that was kind of weird. My dad was kind of cool with it. He, you know, your dad's like, yeah, that's yeah. kind of cool. Like, yeah. I like that. <laughs> and um, the first time I think I ever heard anybody call me that outside of that was once I came to intern with Spike. And then at that point, only person who really knew it was, like, my cousin Keisha and my aunt in New York. Mm-hmm. So then at that point, it was, like, only King Williams. And it actually worked in a sense of working for a job because if you're only Jared Williams, it's literally... St- at least nine million people like with the same name. Yeah, yeah. And so at that point in time, people just remember that because I remember at certain points in time, like uh, Mike Ellis, who's Spike's right hand man since like do the right thing, was like he he kept messing up my name. He was like, "You Prince, come here." But he remembered that. Yeah, he remembered, and so yeah, yeah. it became something that was really memorable versus being like that. And I just like, all right, that's cool with me. Yeah. So. I always wondered that man because I, I swear I feel awkward when people call me Jay Good because it's like. You yeah, know, I, I I know. Depending on what you call me, I know my relationship. Yes, with you, that is really you know? real. And it's like, it, it's so funny, man. I, I, I'm glad you <laughs> answered that. I thought it was just me, dude. But yeah, nah, yeah. It, it's so weird. Like when it first happened, too, the first couple times. Yeah. Or like even like people you went to school with, then because then, like I have people I went to school with, and you know, like we went to the same school. Yeah. So then it's like people like people knew about that. Like nickname, they knew about Zapping and Three Kings, yeah, or they yeah. knew about like you know Tidy Grip. But then it was like, oh yeah. King Williams, and then it would just interchange. Yeah. Um, so it, it could be strange, especially if you're like, because I used to date this girl, and somebody would like, people would be talking to me in the same thing, and she'd yeah. be like, who are they talking to? I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's me. So it kind of, it's weird. It could be weird. That's funny, man. You know, um, I, I definitely want to get back to the film, right? You know, okay. after, after the Kickstarter campaign, then you see those funds come in, and, and now it's like that dream that you had back, um, you know, in, in 08 is just kind of like, okay, now we can really push it. So, like, what's the push for it now? Like, you have the funds, you have the Kickstarter campaign going. I, I've seen, like, the uh, the website is up and running, and I've seen, like, you know, trailers of the visual. What's, what's the next step? Um, the next step is actually to really – get people re and, and it sounds weird that we even say get people reintroduced mm-hmm. but the film is definitely happening in the summer um the date we're not going to release yet uh we've really went back and revamped every single thing we've okay. revamped like the website we got new trailers new content to the point where you know this is a new story for us almost in a sense you know we're covering the old story we're you know closing that gap but mm-hmm. even in covering that story and like really closing like the story as a whole it's a new thing 
And so for us, it's about starting with the one-year anniversary on April 17th. That's going to let people know when the film will finally be out and available to see and things like that. People like yourself who donated, you guys are going to have a lot of different things from the Kickstarter Awards. It's like some other private things. But okay. it's just about getting people out there and really understand what gentrification is and why that's important and why that's significant again. And so for us, it's just been a matter of like really me as a leader just having to step back and like leave New York for a bit to come back here and work on it 100% full time and just really just say, you know what, we're going to be finished and this is the day we have in mind and we're going to just work every single day to make that final day. Like it's set in stone. We know what it is and that's where we're going. That's cool, man. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm happy to see it. I can't wait to see the film, man. Um, and, and I'm sure you guys are going to have some type of premiere type situation yes. going on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We cool. have the theater, and okay. I'm really excited about that. It's a it's a cool theater. Cool, it's a cool, cool theater. man. I, I definitely can't wait. I'm going to be there, man, like front line and center, definitely checking out the film. Um, you know, I'm trying to think, man, where where else to go, man? Like, um, Actually, I had one thing I wanted to kind of bring up since we were talking yeah. about gentrification and hip-hop. Yeah, definitely. Which is this idea, like, I know last year was a big thing, but, like, this idea of gentrification, and let's be real, like, in America, at least right now, it's a very racialized component, especially Mm -hmm. in Atlanta. And just what's been happening, like, the last year or two in just hip-hop and, like, and if we want to be technical about it, like, really just hip-hop and, like, hip-hop culture, which is really related to black culture, where Mm -hmm. you have people like Iggy Azalea and and all the controversy that she had, a lot of it which really wasn't her fault, and then she started opening her mouth later on and started (laughs) saying really stupid things. But before that, 90% of the, like, criticism wasn't really her fault. But, like, even people like Macklemore, who's really been outspoken about, you know, like, racism and and gentrification. I mean, I'm sorry, racism. He actually has a video about gentrification and homophobia. Like, but just this idea of, like, whitewashing black culture in the sense that with hip-hop, we're seeing now is... What, I, at least what I've seen with like gentrification in Atlanta where you have something that's been going on good, bad, or the ugly for a while. It produces something very different. Yeah. And that particular culture of it or certain aspects of it are being moved in by someone who's not from that particular culture. Now, in the case of somebody like Macklemore who really had like, who really has like a really love and appreciation for hip hop. And even I would say Iggy Azalea, even though she kind of just shoots herself in, in the foot a yeah, lot. a lot. Um, <laughs> these people who generally have an appreciation of culture and then we hear other appropriations where just so so many appropriations of slang and dialogue and dress and even how people communicate on social media is really based in hip hop. We're like, I'm pretty sure six months from now we'll have like old Navy selling on fleek t shirts or something Man. like that. Like, well, just like this hip hop thing where, and the thing of gentrification and hip hop are similar in the sense that that particular group who's producing it and mm-hmm. or who are the people being studied or commodified by it have no say so in the monetization of it yeah where you have so many artists like i know you've covered before who are just trying to get their feet in the door trying to get their feet in the door trying to do so many different things but it doesn't matter unless this particular artist fits in this demographic and if that artist fits in the demographic then it just it usurps any of the material or any of the, the work that they've been putting in which is what a lot of people who've been working on the ground level with gentrification in atlanta mm-hmm. to kind of make it better when one other group comes in, they have, may have a little bit more or a little bit more access to this particular demographic. It completely, instead of just bridging that gap, and I've seen the hip-hop and I've seen it in a lot of gentrification-related things where it, those two particular groups, instead of just working together, one group just takes over completely. Yeah. And so that was something I definitely wanted to bring up while we were here. I was like, you know, let me just say this. I yeah. know it may not go well with like some of your no, listeners, dude, I, but you know, I just wanted to bring that up. My thing is, what, what I've learned and, and you know, I told you before, I think before we started recording, like, you know, the initial idea for this podcast, man, started like at the end of 2012, right? And it's, I'm thinking about it now, it's like, man, it's been 
time is moving. It's going on three years, but you know, this podcast, I talk with different artists because that's what I have the closest relationship with is different artists. But what I've, the ultimate goal is at the end of the podcast, I want people to get to know you more right. intimately than just the music. You know what I mean? And, and so that's where the conversation is going. Like, you know, people listen to the podcast, they find out things about these different artists. Whether they're interested about the artists or not, they find out all these crazy things. And my thing is, I want to be first. I want to, like, interview these people before they blow up so we have a catalog. We can go back and listen to them. And, you know, I, I spoke about it on the last podcast, man. You know, I've I've interviewed a lot of people. And some people are now, you're starting to see, yeah. you know, the movement. And it's like, you know, artists like Scotty ATL, who's like really moving in the city you know we we interviewed him a while ago and if you go back and listen to that podcast just to to hear the stuff that he was talking about then now it's coming it's moving now and it's like it's, it's great to see artists um you know just grow you know as people so i you know i i'm always open to interviewing anybody man i think if you got a platform man just use the platform for people to learn um I, I want to try to see if we can get some questions in here um, in the meantime. But while while I'm waiting on the questions to roll in, um, you know, I feel I have to do this. You're okay. not a rapper, so I'm not going to ask you to rap. Oh, please don't. This is going to be so awful. Do I don't want to embarrass However, myself. I do want to introduce this segment. It's called Vinyl Conversations. Okay. Um, you see the vinyl here. Um, I feel we can still have that conversation okay. without having you. I, I won't put the record over you to rap. I won't okay, do that part. Please don't do you that. Know, but <laughs> if you could, you know, there's three um, bins over here. You can just randomly select one record from each band. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So just randomly select um, a record from each band. And what we're going to do is you're, you're going to come back on the mic and just uh, give us a story behind these records. Whatever comes to mind. It may be something that you're familiar with. It may be something you've never seen. But, you know, pick one record at random from each band. So one, two, and then the blue band there oh. you can open up. Oh, this is kind of cool. I, I got to go with this one. Okay. All right. So so that's a classic one. We'll, we'll wait on that one. And then one from here and then one from the blue bin. Oh, gosh. I'm just pulling stuff now. I don't even know what this is. Yeah. You can just say random. It's cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is actually really dope. Like, I actually like this. It's a cool concept. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It's just, I was like, I got the vinyl here, man. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm utilizing the vinyl and, and figure out something to do from it. Oh man, you actually pulling out some some nice stuff. You probably don't know what that is, but that's a classic record right there See, that you this got. Is the thing I don't know. So this is actually be interesting. I have no idea what this is. Okay, so these three then. Yeah, yeah. So you okay. can, yeah, yeah. So um, tell us first off the records that you have, and um, each record, you know, kind of give us a story behind or whatever comes to mind when you see that album cover. Oh gosh. So all right. So what you guys can't see is this right here is. A record by Phil Larson called Jungle Fever. I've never actually heard of Phil Larson before. Um, but I actually do like listening to new music. And I, I'm just going to say from the look of it, it gives me a very Michael McDonald kind of feel. Mm -hmm. And I actually really do love Michael McDonald and the Doobie Brothers and Hall of Notes and that kind of real oh, yeah. 80s, like soul, like blue eyed soul kind of thing. I know I shouldn't probably be saying that because I'm probably like going full <laughs> hipster on this one. But I really generally like that. But, um, no, I really think this is kind of cool. I'm actually interested now in hearing what this sounds like. I, I can play something um, off of that record. I think you'll you'll definitely uh, love the sound of it. It's it's real like jazz fusion and and a little bit of soul in there. Oh, that makes it even worse. Cause yeah. now my dad's a jazz musician. He's a oh, that's you know something. I'm glad you brought that up. That's okay. something I do want to talk about. Okay. So we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. Okay, the next one I have here is 
Nat King Cole Christmas. This is a a classic. Like I don't know how many times I've actually heard this as a kid, but I've, I've at least seventy five times. Oh and, yeah. Like Silent Night and like just so many other like Oh Holy Night rather is like the most. Mm, oh Holy Night and Silent Night probably are like the two greatest Christmas songs of all time. I'm <laughs> gonna I'm willing to fight people over Silent Night. As, <laughs> I'm willing to take it that far. And then we have Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life, which for most people don't know, this is one of the few game-changing albums in like the history of music. Absolutely. And even like this is like, and I will argue this too, I think Stevie Wonder at that point in time in the 70s may have had the greatest run of any individual artist. You're talking about a man who won three Grammy Awards for Album of the Year in the 70s. Yeah. With this game change, this is a double LP. A double LP in the 70s. Like This is way ahead of its time. Like every So many samples... Everything from me being a '90s, you know, baby, from hearing like Coolio sample "Gangsta's Paradise" to like so many Ebony Eyes, like, yo, this is I'm gonna argue top ten, one of the top ten, or at least top twenty greatest albums ever made. Absolutely, ever. I, I featured that album on like the name who sampled like one yes. time. I, I just did the whole album of stuff, and like you said, there are so many records on there that yeah. was sampled that you know we still are listening to at this moment. You know yeah, what I mean, it's, it's great stuff. Great stuff. So yeah, you know, um, normally what I would do is put those records on and ask you to freestyle. I'm not gonna do that. Please today. Don't. I'm not like, gonna do that. Don't. But you did bring up something about your dad being a jazz uh, musician, and I read that, and and I did want to ask you about it. I'm glad you okay. you uh, brought it up, man. Just that that dynamic, man. Like me. I can only think about like um, I've always been around music, even when I didn't want to do music. Like my father, he's he's into uh, music, he did production and engineering, and still do to this day. Um, but how was that dynamic for you, like growing up around that? Because I'm sure your dad probably always played music, right? This yeah. is not like a new venture for him; no. he's always done it. So yeah, how was that, like growing up in a house where, <laughs> you know, something, I'm sure something <laughs> always was going on. I I'm like the odd person in the house where I didn't do any type of musical thing. Okay. Like I just listened to music, a lot of music. So my brother's a drummer. Yeah. Um, he's a drummer. He's actually a pretty good piano player too. He doesn't really let people know okay. onto that, but. My mom actually is a singer as well. She does a little bit on the keys, a little bit, mostly singing. Um, she's all an actress and things like that. But my grandfather on my father's side was also a musician as well. Yeah. So my grandfather, my father, my brother, my mother, all are like musical related. So and for me, it was just like, oh, you're not musical. And then people would just be like, so what do you do? I'm like, I like movies. And they're like, oh, that's kind of cool. But like, why don't you play an instrument? Everybody yeah, else plays yeah, an instrument. Yeah. Like, and so, I mean, this again, this is like in the 90s, like where... It, that idea of making movies wasn't tangible. Like gotcha, it was, you couldn't gotcha. really do it. But yeah. growing up with musicians, I think what people understand is this: like musicians have really big highs and they have really big lows. Yeah. yeah. And I will say this: like my parents have managed to like at least kind of circum, like understanding like with them, like their highs when you're making a whole lot of money, then there's mm-hmm. time when you're not getting any gigs. But they've managed to do a good job of just trying to stay focused and keep steady. And I think that's where I got like when we talked about like just being with Spike and things like yeah. that, like I know from my parents and my brother when in like when you're down, that's when you gotta go harder. And mm-hmm. so that's what I got from them. And growing up with musicians is weird because unlike other people like who have real jobs and like, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's just so many weird things. Like I remember being as a kid, like going to so many bars and clubs and nightclubs and like performances with my parents and like that's just such 
a, a weird dynamic when you're like around eight years old with grown men fully cussing in front of you or especially like especially when you don't do music yeah you especially really have interest in it yeah I got you. yeah so it was like that's always an interesting dynamic because certain things so so many kids get excited about like you know high school oh let's go sneak out let's go drink beer or let's go to the club yeah and it's like i've been exposed to those things since i was born so like you're not <laughs> and in a way i think that was cool because we have parents who are in the music and performance art and things like that where you're around so many different types of things like where people yeah. so many different types of people good bad and ugly where it prepares you more for life so like certain things weren't like a full it wasn't like a shock it was like yeah. oh okay but musician parents as a whole i think are just so different the way they see the world is different and they can be so in tune to their music sometimes where mm-hmm. you're just like okay i get where that's from now and i think on the good side of it is when a musician's really into their music and in their passion, it's like nothing else matters and they give it a hundred percent. And I really want to appreciate my parents and my brother and my granddad and other people like that who are really, when they get passionate about something, they're fully invested. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, that's, that's kind of what's like, yeah, that, that, that's cool to hear, man. That's, I mean, but you know, there's, there's a, a bright side on everything. Like your mom and dad can do some music together and you can shoot, you know. Yeah, you that's shoot a shoot. Visual. There you go. Yeah, shoot yeah, the so. visual. Uh, document that. That'll be an interesting documentary. That would be up. very interesting. I'm even, I would watch that because I would like to see yeah, where that goes. Yeah, like growing, growing up in a house full of musicians and you don't play. And, and, I, and I don't play anything. And I don't play anything. That, I, I would like to, to look at that. <laughs> throw that out there, man. But hey, um, I think I think we, we had a good ending point here, man. Yeah, it's, so that's It's been cool. a good conversation, man. But look, this is Jay Good at StraightOutTheDen.com. Like, look, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, great. You guys heard me talk about this over and over again. I appreciate the fact that you're listening. It's it's, it's you know it's great, but I would love for you to listen on iTunes. I need you to subscribe on iTunes. You can click the button. It's right there um, on the thing. You can click that. Go to iTunes. Rate the com- um, rate the podcast. Comment on the podcast. Give us five stars if you think we deserve it. If not, you can you know put whatever you think we deserve. But I would love if you guys subscribe. Um, is is imperative that you guys do that um it's it's a whole nother world out here in the the game of podcasts and you know even though you guys are consuming the content that's great i just need you to subscribe and and rate and comment just you know tell somebody about the podcast that would be great uh just do that um also last um podcast i told you guys about doing the survey um i did get a lot of uh surveys in that's great you guys still have that opportunity it's right in the show notes you can click on that link and um just take a quick survey it, it literally takes about a minute and a half to do um it's just really information for us so we can know exactly who's listening to the podcast we we need that information um to you know bring, bring you guys a better podcast and have more topics that you guys are going to love to hear um Hey man, I almost said Jared again. I'm it's fine. Like we King, know each other. We go back. Like King this Williams. Is real. I'm this gonna is real. say it because look, it's gonna be titled King Williams. So like okay. King Williams, give us that social media, how people can contact you, and also any final words that you may have for our listeners. Uh final words is I wanna say thank you for actually having me on this no podcast. Problem, I'm an actual real subscriber before doing the podcast. He, he so was, I wanna let people know that I'm legit. <laughs> I'm not like some poser. Like legit subscriber i actually listen to all the podcasts thank when they come you so out. much bro i really um, appreciate it i would like to say if you want to get in touch with me it's pretty easy um if you're on twitter facebook instagram whatever tumblr it's always well facebook instagram twitter it's always i am king williams i a m k i n g w i l l i a m s but really i would like for you to also contact um, the Atlanta Way and check out what we're doing out at the Atlanta Way, T H E A T L A N T A W A Y dot com. 
And on all of the social media handles, it's always the same thing. So the Atlanta way, um, that's on Facebook, that's on Tumblr, that's on YouTube, that's on Instagram. So I would really love you guys to reach me there, the Atlanta way, or I am King Williams. And thank you again for having me. This has actually been really fun. No, so, no problem, bro. I appreciate thanks. you coming in, man, and just you know opening up the dialogue and, and talking about some some different things. Like I, I have so many. Um, things to say and you guys are hearing this right now um honestly you by the time you hear this um you probably would have already seen it he's actually going to be a guest tonight on our uh, good hennessy show yes i'm um, looking forward to that too. and, and so that's going to be a whole nother thing but he's going to be there live in the studio with us and we're going to you know go in, into a little bit more um of the story there so if you are listening to this you already missed that show however we will have it up so you can listen to it after the fact <laughs> that's cool but i did want to drop that here for our listeners just to let you guys on a little bit of inside stuff so hey it's jay good is straight out the den um follow me on twitter at str the number eight o-u-t-d-a-d-e-n and um i'm gonna end this thing on on a high note like i normally do if you uh guys have a dream and, and before i go into this plug like if you listen to this podcast this little last blurb that i do is so evident because like king like really just gave us the rundown of how you can really make things happen so look if you have a dream pray on that dream research that dream and work until that dream becomes a reality and with that being said it's jay good straight out the den with king williams and we out